episode 632 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk about comic books. I'm ready to talk about everything that's happened in the last seven days since we last recorded. There's a lot to go over, Todd. There is. There is. It should be a short show, though, Joe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got to do it. Got to say it, or it wouldn't be a show. You know what I mean? Um, you ready to hear what we have, though, Joe? Yes. In news, we don't have a lot of news, but it is, there's most, it's all sad. So, um, lost a couple of people. Um, conventions, uh, I will say one of them is going to have a master class in guests, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> what we read last week, which was uh, New Golden Age, number one, Fantastic Four, number one, Do a Power Bomb, number six, and Traveling to Mars, number one. Um, what we're looking forward to this week, um, Todd and Joe have issues, AKA Todd and Joe go rogue, the battle for second place. And finally, at the end of the show, we will have spoiler fill talk of the latest episodes of Andor, Stargirl and the movie Wakanda forever. AKA Black Panther 2. Wakanda forever. So, uh. As Todd mentioned there, uh, yes, uh, unfortunately a bit of sad news uh, to start things here, as almost immediately after we recorded last week, uh, word had come out uh, that Carlos Pacheco had passed away at the age of 60. Um, I guess he was uh, diagnosed with, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this correctly, ALS. Mm-hmm. Y'all know what that stands for. Um, right. So he is, a you know, an unheralded modern legend in comics. Yes, he is. Um, he, he's one of those guys where you've seen his work everywhere. He's worked for both the big two uh, quite a bit. And you've probably seen his stuff and just never recognized it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, I don't want to say shame on you for not, but he's he was a very prolific artist. And, yes. you know, at least looking at his peers, you know, one of the most prolific uh, artists around. If I was to pick the seminal work of his that I most remember him for, um, that would be Avengers Forever. And that's not just because it was a Kang story. Uh, but that was because he got to draw like pretty much everyone in the Marvel universe. Yeah. You know what? I, I concur. Um, it is Avengers forever. Uh, I believe the first appearance, even though legacy had been around, um, it was Jenis Val, the, the cat, that captain Marvel. Uh, he did such a beautiful job on that character. And then I, you know, went, went on to read it by Peter David and Chris cross, but uh, Carlos Pacheco, just that's what I will always think of. I met him once at a New York Comic Con, and he was the nicest guy. He, you know, um, him and his son running the table. Uh, I was a little late. I tried to get on his list to get something, but uh, there was a chance. And then he was like, oh, well, here's my email. And it never really panned out, but I did get to have, you know, a really nice talk with him and his son at uh, New York Comic Con once. So he will be missed. Right. So, you know, obviously just about two months ago, he had announced his retirement. 
uh, that he had a couple things left uh, in the catalog. One of them was a cover to like the Damage Control miniseries from Marvel. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, he's, uh, you know, we talk about Avengers Forever. Uh, he did runs on Batman and Superman. He did uh, that JLA, JSA, Virtue and Vice uh, hardcover. That's beautiful, you know? Yes. Uh, he did the covers for Trinity, the third weekly series from DC uh, yes. back in the late 2000s there. Um, he did issues of Final Crisis. He did a lot of stuff. He was one of those guys, uh, very, I would say, very reminiscent of our good friend Tom Derinick in that um, he has a very beautiful, a very recognizable style, and he's more times than not called in when other people are falling behind on other stuff. Right, right. Uh, but again, he'll be missed. And like I said, if you saw the outpouring, the outcry uh, from his peers at his passing, um, as someone who will truly be missed, you know, and hopefully yeah. Marvel or DC or both uh, do some sort of uh, recognition of what he contributed to their characters over the last, you know, 20 years or so. Right. Probably even longer. Right. Uh, the other news story, uh, of course, is the passing of probably not the person most people think of when they picture Batman, but I would say for the better part of the last 30 years, who most people hear when they think of Batman. Yep. And that's Kevin Conroy, who was the voice of Batman from Batman, the animated series. And after that, pretty much every animated video game version of Batman was Kevin Conroy. Right, and a bunch of the, later on, the DC animated uh, cartoons, a lot of them would be Kevin Conroy, you know what I mean? Not all of them, but there was a lot of them. And it's just, you know, someone who was, I don't know if you saw, there was that DC Pride comic that came out earlier this year that he wrote a story for. Right. Um, I know DC went ahead and made that entire issue, uh, not just his story, but the entire issue available uh, for people to read online for free. Uh, I had read it at the time, and it was just like he was a struggling actor trying to make ways and just kind of how things were in the early to late 80s uh, for someone who was, you know, at the time, and even further still, you know, who was openly gay and how right. difficult his journey was to get a foothold and then to get, like, this unlikely role as Batman and then almost to make that voice for the animated version of Batman iconic. Oh, yeah. Um, and his run from, like, Batman the Animated Series to being elderly Bruce Wayne in Batman Beyond, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I mean, that run is ridiculous. Yep. And maybe one of the greatest if not the great, like Batman, the animated series and some of the other stuff, the greatest like comic related cartoons ever. I don't know what would top it in my mind. You know what I mean? Well, you got, you got the original run of Batman, the animated series. Mm -hmm. I really have a soft spot in my heart for the Superman animated series that comes afterwards, which is just essentially like the companion series. Yep. Yep. With the uh, world's finest three parter is amazing. Right. Um, as they rebrand Batman, the animated series to like, 
New Adventures of Batman, you know, Batman and Robin, and then, like, it eventually becomes Batman Beyond, as you mentioned. You know, I count them all as the same, and obviously, as the name changes, the quality of the show never matches the original, but whatever. But then when they relaunch Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited, if we're going to include that in the entire run, because Batman's the main character in that as well... You know, watching that entire run of an animated series from beginning to end, you know, is going to cover 10 plus years at least. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you in the middle, like I said, no fault of his performance, but some of the stories do get like dumbed down a little bit to become more of a kid's show. But I would probably say even some of the kids show stuff still holds up today you know and some of the like the batman and uh, the new adventures that becomes very kitty looking they get darker in 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 like he said because they light oh well other people said because they lightened up the look of the characters they got away with like clubbing like uh robin with a crowbar at one point they're like which would have never happened in the original animated series and i'm super partial to batman beyond because it was brand new and it was such a great take on like uh, like where they could go with Bruce Wayne, I loved all of it. But my question to you, Joe, is what is the best episode of the original Batman the Animated <sighs> Series, and why is it Heart of Ice? So my friend Julian will swear to you that that's the best episode. Mm-hmm. Um, good good episode to great good to great episode of the show, right? Um, my favorite is, and I think the show title is like almost got him. Almost got him is one of them. That's way up there. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, you know, obviously the, I think there's a tail end one where there's a bunch of kids that talk about what they think Batman's like. Right. And the car drove up the wall. Mr. Schumacher, you're crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's a fun one. Hard Ice is up there, man. Um, but just because, you know, maybe I'm a dum-dum, uh, I, I really like uh, Almost Got Him as my favorite. I still, I don't know why, but I from Heart of Ice, I still do. It would move me to tears if I still had tears to shed. Like, whenever <laughs> something happens, I'm just like, that, like, just that voice of Mr. Freeze, like, monotone and sad, I'm like, so good so good. yeah but yeah they're all really good man absolutely so I, I don't know what streaming services these are on this is why physical media is king HBO uh, oh they are on hbo max yeah as i was watching something the other day i came across them and i was like i could see what maybe what i'm doing this weekend you know yeah nothing wrong with just sitting down and watching them all you know it's better better to watch uh dc animated stuff than wrestling so well, the push depends on what you're watching in the wrestling. And uh, yeah, you know, and obviously I will say he, uh, Kevin Conroy had been hot and heavy uh, on the convention circuit, you know, up until just like a month or two ago, you know, and mm-hmm. I would see people p- posting pictures of him and I'm like, oh, he's looking thin. I'm like, oh boy, yeah. you know, I I hope everything's okay. And obviously it wasn't. Um, but, you know, this is, that's how he chose to spend uh, his remaining months, however much, you know, who knows how much, how, you know, how much he knew that he had, you know, he was still active on social media, you know, days before his passing. Yep. 
Um, so you just never know how these things sort of sort of hit. But uh, our condolences to the family. Uh, obviously, I, I assume all of our listeners know Kevin Conroy, Batman the Animated Series. Uh, go check out some of Carlos Pacheco's art. You won't be sorry. No, you won't. Uh, so I mentioned um, Kevin Conroy conventions. There are some conventions this weekend. Um, you know, obviously, as we near the holiday season and wintry conditions on the Northeast and other parts of the United States, um, we're going to start seeing some of those lean up for the next couple months. Uh, but there is a convention, uh, Long Island Comic Book Expo in Long Island, New York. Uh, Michael Golden, Jim Shooter, and Rodney Ramos are going to be there. And then out in sunny California at the Bakersfield Comic Con, uh, we have Liam Sharp, Dan Brereton, and I would say, Todd, two people, how you teased at the beginning of the thing, uh, one person is a master of his craft. I would say these two men are probably peas in a pod more than you would imagine. <laughs> right. And one is the one true master uh, of the Doctor Who universe in Eric Roberts. Uh, the other one is uh, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, the Honky Tonk Man. Mm, okay. I wonder what they could have in common. Uh, listen. Uh, well, listen. What they have in common is separating you from your money. But... <laughs> That that notwithstanding, uh, I would love to be in a room with those two. Oh, let's take well, we take a road trip, but you're busy this weekend. I'm very busy this weekend. I'm going the other way from Bakersfield, sadly. But right. if you want to use the copter this weekend, uh, you'll have to de-ice <laughs> the wings. But <laughs> right, right. But man, I would so get a Mark photo with Eric Roberts, and I would get you. I would get you an autograph eight by ten, man, in a heartbeat. And if in a because he's a Galfrayan in a in two heartbeats. Oh my god! Because he has two hearts, Joe Galfrayans. They have two hearts. Let's not hold that against him. Right. Uh, so hey, the information about these conventions are going to be in the show notes uh, accompanying this episode, along with information about soon to be named network, soon to be named network dot com, soon to be named network dot tumblr dot com. Anytime any of the shows in the soon to be named network go live. You could find them all there. Don't trust a podcatcher. Trust soon to be named network.com. Uh, whether it be looking for this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, uh, Hit My Music, uh, Porch Talk, Wings on Wings is back. And of course, the limited series is still up there. Uh, no Chance in Helmet. Right. I was going to push through to you and Marcus to see if I can get you guys, because uh, I saw some people tweeting out today that some of the college teams had changed their helmets. Right. Um, I did see, though, that the new XFL team helmets were out. So, it's, Again, it's, a, it's not a limited series. It's a limited series. It's not a canceled series. So I expect right. the uh, XFL episode any day now. Well, I hear you're in his DMs more than I am, so... Now let's fix that right now. Jeez, oh, I almost cursed that right there, is Joe. The XFL no chance in helmet episode being recorded. So we'll see if uh, Mr. Marcus replies here. 
but hey, go check out our other friends uh, who have stuff going on over on the internet. Uh, go f- check out Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog uh, over at mastlibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams, the chop shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Uh, friends of the show, longtime listeners of the show, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt, both self-published comic books, Jupiter Battle Monsters, respectively. We have links to go and purchase those comics directly from them. I know Chris has a podcast that he does, uh, Fortress of Comic News. Uh, go check out his podcast as well. Uh, and hey, if you want to get physical comic books like I do and Todd does, and you don't have a comic book store in your area, or you don't have a good comic book store in your area, let our store be your store. Comics on the Green, we have the link to their social media set up. Uh, you can go find out the new releases, when everything arrives, uh, previews of titles, hot books to keep an eye out for and to get those orders in ASAP. Set up a mail order subscription service, get books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and if you do, there's a chance you can get a sketch from our good friend Becky. Uh, you can go check out her artistic process, her prints, and everything else that she's done over at her social media, which is all linked up. I will say, go check out Becky's Twitter specifically as she detailed um, the condition a package that they sent arrived at a customer's home and all the books inside were perfect condition because mm-hmm. Becky knows her stuff when it comes to packing up comic books. Right, right, right. Um, and I will say this. While I was at the uh, convention this weekend, I was talking with Mark Schultz, legendary artist, um, and he uh, said that we all have to pester her to scan not just like tweet out every once in a while like the pieces that she does to send off to people so she could put together a sketchbook at some point and when mark schultz tells you to do that you do it but she's dragging her feet so when you see her later you you know or whenever you see her you give her the business joe we have to do be united on this front i'm i listen uh, there's nothing i like more than giving people a business you know right um, so Marcus replied and said, they just announced team names and cities. I haven't even seen the uniforms yet. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure they did the logos. So, and I, okay. So I replied, uh, that Todd said the helmets are out there. So unless you're a liar. Well, at least the logos, they might not have a picture of the helmets. You know what I mean? No, we need to see. So I, I, I say we wait until the helmets are out there. Okay. Yeah. At the very least. So, yeah, all that's in the show notes that accompanies every single one of these episodes. Be sure to check out all of our friends. Uh, now it's time to check out some stuff that we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? Um, I'm going to, like, go really, you know, off the course and say I'd like to start with a book we didn't even talk about uh, last week. Uh, but uh, Traveling to Mars by Ablaze Comics, written by Mark Russell and art by Roberto Melai. That's I don't know how to say the name. I'm guessing sure. that's what it is. Um, basically, it's about the f- man, a man who's on his way to Mars in 2048. Um, and we find out, I mean, it's very early in the book. We find out that he has a terminal illness, so they're sending him so he can plant the flag on Mars for reasons that they get into throughout the book and who is sending him and why he's, they're sending him. That's all very interesting. It's all very almost, even in its ludicrousness, completely believable 
but the story about Roy Livingston, uh, who's who's the man, and he basically tells his his life story up to that point, and it's just a sad tale of like regret and things that he's done. And like, as, as I get older, I'm like reading this guy and it's, it's as stupid as it is learning about his father. His father believed that, uh, you should be, you know, an interesting obituary, um, at least at the least in your life. And, you know, Roy may live up to that, but all the regrets and the mistakes that he's made, everything in this, like that he talks about, that's very realist, real, uh, realistic, I've either like either had a thought about or like, uh, you know, like regrets or whatever. It just resonated with me and it was written very, very well. It looked beautiful. That and the fact that Roy has the greatest hat in the history of, you know, uh, stuff that and how he got it was kind of cool. But I, I, I know I'm not doing well explaining this book, but I really enjoy this. And I think this in the first issue other than maybe Wonder Twins is maybe my favorite thing that I've read from Mark Russell, like in just one issue. Okay. So, so I know it didn't come out well, but sorry. No, no, listen. So I'm, um, I would say that I'm a much bigger fan, like first issue in of uh, My Bad. I really enjoyed My Bad, the premise Ooh, and I kind of the twists that. and turns that took, right? Right. Um, this I liked quite a bit and obviously, you know, and again, I, I don't want to say that Todd is making this much more, uh, ho-hum than other things, right? But there's a, there is still a lot of Mark Russell's trademark humor in this book as well. Don't, don't let us distract you from that, you know? Right, you're right. Um, you know, there's bits in there in regards to him being at like the third biggest pet store, in Alabama, uh, Todd mentioned about the hat that he's gifted. Um, you didn't mention who sent him to Mars and why, right? Right. I kind of wanted to leave that. That's an interesting, yeah. fun reveal. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's just like little bits of stuff like he's being sent because he's an expendable person. The company that's sending him was able to analyze and see... Um, you know, a li- from me- people's medical records, which sounds like a HIPAA violation, but what do I know? Could be. Um, <laughs> they were able to see who was the most terminal cancer person that they could find to send on this, um, on this mission, and the money that he would, and the only job that he has on the ship is every now and then he has to turn a dial to, <laughs> to scrub the air. To scrub the air, and when he does, it smells like peanut butter for a little while. Right. Um, so there's like little bits in there, you you know, and you, there's the bit with his father who he talks about stressing this whole thing about having this good obituary that you leave, and then the way that his father ends up dying, and the way that he says it in the book so matter-of-factly. Yep. Um, there is a lot of humor in this, but it's a very heavy subject. Um, you know, obviously the guy going to Mars in 2048 or whatever year it is, is really just the backdrop for a a tale of like humanity and like not getting things done, I guess. And like a wasted life. Yes. It's a very funny book with a deep melancholy underlining. Yes. And that's what I love. Like I do, like I do love the dichotomy of it. And like without giving too much away, like when he decides, because they they tell him, and this isn't you know too much of a spoiler. Like because we want to get a jump on this, you can't tell anybody. 
And he decides to, well, that's great. It's a clean break to go. And when he realizes the mistake he's made in that, uh-huh. that's a gut punch. Yeah. Um, to me, especially for me and you, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm like, that's really good. And then some of the other stuff in his relationships. And like I said, just the dialogue, cause it's all really told, to- told in his journal, which is a cool way to do it. And he can draw. So the artist is like drawing the himself and his, you know, the people he's met over the years. I just, it's just a really good, like, I can't recommend this one enough for me. You know what I mean? So that's all I got. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, maybe, um, and I know Mark Russell uh, really has been giving this the big push on social media. Uh, kind of stunk that he had two new books drop on the same day. Uh, this and the sequel to uh, Billionaire Island, you know? Right. Um, and then I think he also has a Blade one-shot that comes out this week. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's nice to space. And I think My Bad Volume 2 ships at the end of the month. Yeah, if not next week at the end of the month. And I'm yeah. looking forward to that, too. Just <laughs> right. I want to see what Acid Monkey's up to, Joe. <laughs> I want to see the the what really happens to the salad shooter, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but yeah, and, uh, and I'll say this, you know, um, not that I could do it, but I don't know. Get somebody at a blaze in touch with whoever runs the website and tell them to update it, you know? Right. Maybe that's your baby steps into fixing all the comicsology stuff. <laughs> Comicsology. Listen, comicsology is Amazon's problem now between me, you, and the wall, right? Right, right. Oh boy. Okay. Um. So let's talk about another book that we both read from this past week. Okay. And that would be um the DC title. As I'm looking for the title of it, a new golden age, uh, written by Jeff Johns, uh, with art by Steve Lieber, Jerry Ordway, and a bunch of other folks, right? right. So, you know, I I was looking forward to this because it's Jeff Johns writing JSA folks, right? But that's like one aspect of this book. This is tying in uh, 2,000 years of DC continuity from the 1940s to the 3040s, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like every DC thing that you could possibly think of from the Time Masters to Watchmen stuff to Rip Hunter uh, to a per degaton analog. Um, a lot of it is just about Dr. Fate, the importance of Dr. Fate's helmet and abilities, and a reminder that other than Bat Family characters, there's more legacy characters in dc than you remember or care to remember and they do the um the, like the who's who files for a bunch of new ones that we've never seen before right um, um so i'm a sucker for that sort of stuff but i definitely feel as though this book may have been more than what i was expecting and i was only really super interested of one of the seven aspects that are going on in this book um, I don't need to know nothing about Legion of Superheroes. I don't need to know nothing about the Watchmen people. Um, Time Masters, okay, I guess the necessary evil if we're doing time jumping stuff. But I just want JSA stuff. I want Justice Society stuff. I, I, I'm with you. Um, what throws me off is because I'm an old man. 
is like a lot of those because they end up establishing like characters that were around in the golden age or after the golden age that you know in the who's who pages that weren't real like have never been around before that i know of um there's one or two definitely because aquaman's in there is like he's appeared before but like they have red lantern and stuff like that and i'm like my brain immediately went to, are these characters real and have they appeared somewhere at one time? And Jeff Johns is digging them up. You know what I mean? Like being that historian. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't like fake past histories because it took my whole life to learn real past histories. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, the true life stories of the JSA, not fiction in any way, shape or form. So, yeah. And I'm with you on all the other stuff. I never really cared about the Legion. I'm interested in who's turning out to be maybe the main character who uh, is involved with uh, Catwoman and Batman. So I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I feel when we get into the books that they're going to be a part of, like there's a star girl book and there's a JSA book. Maybe it'll all be a little clear and laid out, but all that thrown at me at one, at one time was overwhelming, even though like, you know, I enjoy the idea. Yes. Just give me a JSA and a star girl book and I'll be happy. Yeah, uh, like I said, it was just a lot to, to to deal with all at once, you know? Right. I just want heroes that punch bad guys, Joe, sometimes. And, and I think a lot of these, you know, like Golden Age Green Lanterns or Red Lanterns and Golden Age Aquamans and a lot of these people um, are a way for Jeff Johns to work into some of his concepts right. into the greater DC Universe timeline for people to play with. Right. Um, like, I, I, it's one of those things where, like, we're going to be told that these people have always been here, but then there's going to be that one character that's like, no, I'm the DC historian. I know this person shouldn't be there and that person shouldn't be there, you know? Yeah. The only one, and I know this is going off on a tangent, the only one that I don't like all those, I'm like, you could weave in whatever you want, is that they're establishing that Jay Garrick and Joan had a kid. Mm-hmm. in this and i don't like that not because they were never able to have children and they always established he's like well all the speedsters that came after me barry wally bart any of them like he took them under this wing and they were his family and i and i kind of like that you know what i mean because there are people who can't have children whatever I, and i just think i hope I, I don't know i would just like to keep that in continuity if that makes any sense i always like that idea Absolutely. I I get it. Right. So don't want to go too off on it, but uh, I'll go on to the next book. Then it was the book I was looking forward to most. And uh, I believe Joe didn't read, which is fantastic for number one. And I just dropped my notes on who wrote it um, and, and drew it. Oh, well. Um, But uh, basically I'll find that. Uh, Iban Coelho. Yes. And uh, this story takes place. It's in a, there's a small town, in the middle of nowhere and there's a gentleman reading a newspaper that says July 12th, 1947. And we get a couple of pages of that, like the same page over and over again. So I thought it was a printing error. Um, and then at the hotel that he's running, uh, in comes, uh, Alicia and thing they're going like across country and they end up getting a room and people start like seeing them and they're like, Oh my God, there's a monster in town. We've never seen anything like it. 
Um, it's a very quaint backwards town. And then through a series of events, you find out that they're having their own Groundhog Day moment. They're stuck in this little town and they get like information. They're trying to figure it out. They're going around trying to stop people from doing something, trying to see if anything will affect the change um, because they have information that this town disappeared on that day that's in the newspaper in the 40s. And through a series of events, they end up finding out maybe from the headline of the newspaper uh, that somebody got powers because there was a, uh, an atomic blast nearby, a test. And we find out that maybe someone wished for a second chance. And in that, it starts rebooting the town over and over again. And the thing is like, well, I don't have Reed Richards with me. It's just me and Alicia. Um, I don't know how to fight this. Like this is time wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. And I'm the thing. I punch things. And it's him trying to figure out the mystery along with Alicia. And they, fi- spoiler alert, they like figure it out and they break the loop. But along the way, you know, it's it's the trip. And, we've, and it's very heart-wrenching what the story is. I really liked it. And then along the way, we get like hints of like why Reed and Sue isn't around. And maybe something went horribly sideways at one point before the book starts. Um, And it just leads to like where something horrible has happened. We don't know where the rest of the Fantastic Four is. Um, I will say this. This is my favorite issue of Fantastic Four in a long, long time. Okay. Easily accessible. Um, very characters, matter of fact, very down to earth, not world shattering, universe spanning, very realistic. And then in the back of the book, the writer, he said, these were my four rules, four rules. When I was doing this book, the first book, the first rule is the fantastic four are fun. These are people who know they can help people and here to do exactly that. No angst having superpowers rules. Two, the Fantastic Four are adventures. Exploring the, exploring the unexplored is fun and gratifying. The Fantastic Four can do anything. And finally, the Fantastic Four are accessible. And he basically says, I have to write this book like anybody. It's anybody's first FF issue. Um, I loved it. It looked beautiful. Uh, some of the ideas that he put forth, like the truck that they're traveling in for, for the thing is modified because obviously – Man, oh man, I'm not doing this because I'm an FF fan. I cannot recommend this book enough to just try for a fun thing story right off the bat. If you're a fan of the thing, read this book. And then if you're not hooked by the last page, then don't, you don't have to read the book. But I think you would be if you read it. I am a fan of the thing. And uh, obviously I was going to ask how well, uh, the writer Ryan uh, Ryan North uh, held up to uh, his four rules, and obviously you feel as though he did a good job of those. Yes, crushed all four of them, Joe. Um, again, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but uh, no Doctor Doom off the rip. We're gonna put him on the bench for a little bit, or and yes, and I am fine with that. Um, okay, I honestly, I, I know I may be a bit of a Doctor Doom homer. Um, just a bit. Uh, but sometimes it's like, get like, let's get there. Give me Annihilus. Give me Psycho Man. Give me, you know, Galactus. Give me what, uh, El Diablo, whatever. But sometimes you don't need to start with Dr. Doom. Nice, simple story. Thing and Alicia doing a little adventure, figuring something out. Perfect. Again, you're, you're selling me on and I'm going to have to definitely check it out, you know? 
Right. And definitely if if you want, I'll I will lend this book to you, Joe, so you can try it for free. The first taste is free, the rest you have to buy. Gotcha. Yep. So last but not least, only because I think uh, I've covered every uh, issue of it here on the show, I would be remiss not to. It was a very heavy week, so it did. I was afraid that it would get bumped down to the bottom of the list. And that would be uh, issue six, the penultimate issue of Do a Powerbomb from writer-artist Daniel Warren Johnson. Uh, Lona and Cobra-san, uh, father-daughter enter into a necromancers wrestling tournament um with the getting the ultimate prize at the end now we could talk about this because it happens in issue six and i'll tiptoe around some of the spoilers from this but uh they lose the tournament right um but through extenuating circumstances they end up getting the prize but okay. the necromancer may have lied about whether he was able to deliver on the prize. Uh-oh. And there might be one more battle that Lona and Cobra's son have to take on. And uh, it is a two-on-one handicap match of the two of them against one person. Um, but it's the one person that the necromancer didn't kind of clear the tournament with. Okay. Uh, so... You know, tiptoeing around it, but giving you enough information, hopefully, to pull you in. Um, at the end of issue five, I was shocked that they didn't win. Uh, but the fact that there was two more issues left to go, I'm like, ooh, he's got something up his sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. And he did, and he does. And uh, I'm very interested to see how it's all going to pan out. Like, you don't uh, give, the care- give your leads a second chance to pull the rug out from them a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know how these crazy Duke uh, boys are going to get out of this one because it's a big one. Right. Um, Joe, uh, your review is perfect. I really liked it. Um, it makes, you know, it kind of interests me in the book, but I will say there's one flaw in your whole review. Okay. And that is that you didn't say the ultimate prize. I'm really surprised you didn't say that. I, I only say that when I'm talking to you about your stuff. With Oh, okay. With wrestling stuff, you have to assume uh, that ultimate is in there. Because the every that- time I hear ultimate and you don't say it that way, I'm wondering <laughs> if you have a fever. Uh, I have a fever um, for... Uh, doing this podcast and that's about there it you there you go uh so that's everything we read from well that's not everything that we read from this past week that's but that's a lot of the stuff that we read from this past week that we're going to talk about um let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week if you head over to longboxheroes.com every tuesday around noon eastern time we put up the poll post which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is currently in the lead over me with four correct guesses, and I think we only have like seven weeks left in the calendar year. I think so. You better start making up ground, Joe. I'm trying to, but you go first. Right. Um, I'm looking over your list, and even though you know we kind of had a clunky thing with the Golden Age book, is the uh, book you're looking forward to most, Stargirl, The Lost Children, number one? 
Yeah, the book I'm most looking forward to is Stargirl and the Lost Children, number one, uh, written by Jeff Johns with art by Todd Nanock. Is that yeah. how you print? I believe it's just Todd Nock. Todd Nock, okay. Um, yeah, you know, like I said, the Golden Age book was like everything this is going to be. Hopefully this is the narrow focus on the JSA stuff that I want outside mm-hmm. of the JSA book that's also coming out this month. Right, right. Uh, Hopefully there's th- a lot of uh, Doomsday Clock in this and Watchmen for you. Uh, I think this is the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week as well. Yep, I'm willing to give him a second chance, Joe. Yep, yep. Jeff Johns has kind of sort of earned it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's 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 got a good track record uh, under his belt, I guess, maybe. Yes. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done with the past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, and the ongoing tournament 2022 Todd and Joe have issues, a.k.a. Todd and Joe Go Rogue, a.k.a. the Silver Standard, a.k.a. the Battle for Second Place. Uh, everyone knows that the Flash has the best rogues gallery in all of comics. Uh, Todd thinks that Batman is the second best. I think Spider-Man is the second best. So we put together a tournament, taking the bottom of the barrel of both of those respective characters. Rogues Galleries, listener of the show, Grinch McScrooge, put them together in a big giant tournament bracket that we've been playing with all year. And we are down to the Elite Eight, Todd. Mm -hmm. And it is Spider-Man on two sides and Batman on the other two sides. So we are guaranteed a Batman villain versus Spider-Man villain final. And I would say, Todd, in a shocking upset, Green Goblin number three, Bart Hamilton, moves on to the final four. I will say, I think, I'm going to say, I think the hardest uh, uh, person to to get over that you had left in the tournament would have been typeface for me. Uh I think he was like the, the hurdle. Um, I, I'm feeling more confident after this poll than before the poll ended, Joe. Well, let me, I, I, let me go double check to see who I have left. Um, I'm worried about video man. Uh, uh-huh. but then uh-huh. after that, I don't know. Be, well, between, so I, I got nothing to say about any of your people that you have left. Okay. <laughs> afraid, <laughs> Joe, you afraid? <laughs> and they all stink and shouldn't have made it out of the first round. <laughs> and I'm confident that any of my guys would roundly trounce any of your guys. Oh, okay. I, I hear a quiver in that voice, Joe. <laughs> I have I hear a quiver. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh-huh. But uh, uh so your your matchup is this week, sir. That's right. So after that, uh harrowing poll last week the two that i have this week are the penny plunderer um who was a man who plundered well it's in the name joe plundered pennies his crime was i'm obsessed with pennies um he was taken down because all he had to do was call his thugs to come get him his goons hired goons um but he had no nickels or quarters or dimes for the uh payphone so he was taken down because all he had was pennies and then his real big claim to fame for being a mort was he had the big penny in the bat cave and it's like oh my god that legendary penny that's next to the dinosaur next to the batmobile and all the other fun batman stuff that's the penny plunders you're a legendary bat villain 
No, no, you're not, because they retconned it out that that was Two Face's big penny. So every time you see that big penny, it's just a slap in the face to the penny plunderer. Um, and then we also have the Maid of Wood Killer Two. That's not the Maid of Wood Killer One. It's his grandson who inherited a baseball bat for, or no, found a baseball bat that his grandfather had used to kill a few people, and he decided to become just like his grandfather and decides to run around town in a dirty t-shirt and a trucker's cap, giving people the what for with a bat. So uh, two really lame ones, but I'm leaning towards the penny plunder as the bigger joke, but vote with your heart. Uh, my vote and my voting block are going to be voting for made of wood killer too. Um, I'm baffled that Penny Plunderer made it as far as he did. Uh, I think the sob story of his one claim to fame being (laughs) robbed of him uh, has got him a sympathy vote this far. Uh, But I don't think that sympathy is going to... I don't think that sympathy is going to take him to the finals. I think uh, Made of Wood Killer 2, you know, who has the pedigree of being written by Ed Brubaker, granted it's more of a Green Lantern villain, but again, we allowed it this far. Um, that's who I'm backing in this if, battle. If you want me to swap made of wood killer out, I could, I could do an alternate <laughs> if you like, I could do an alternate. I got one worse, but no, nah, it's, it's too late in the tournament to put an alternate in. Well, Hey, we could change the rules anytime we want. It, it was a mistake that I left this person out, but if I had realized that he would have went in, but I'm not going to give up my cards now. So can I, can I put hypno hustler back in? You can put Hypno Hustler no. back in if I could drop this guy in. No, I don't want to put anyone. That's I'm, what I thought. I'm confident. I would have loved to have seen Typeface make it to the finals. Uh, but again, uh, hopefully Bart Hamilton could use that momentum to carry himself to a victory and hold his head aloft as the le- as the as the face. The face of the second best rogues gallery of all comics. Not the typeface, but the face. Exactly. <laughs> I will say, I think I heard that quiver again. That's all. Okay. Uh, so that poll will be up on social media Wednesday, and then we'll do the results next week. Um, you could, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out our store where we got shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, head over to our T Public store. Uh, they don't give me a ton of advance notice on the sales, uh, but there is currently a 35% off everything sale going off and t- going on now until the end of the day on Friday. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon as little as a dollar a month. You can get uh, two bonus shows from Todd and myself. Piro Mounties, which is looking at the film uh, overview or the film catalog of independent filmmaker Mark Piro and previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this week's or this month's uh, previews catalog. And I'm going to mention it here. You know, obviously, well, well I'll get to what I'm going to mention here in a second. Um, you know, dollar a month, get you those two shows, get you the the full high-quality, uh, professionally done scans of all those, all those previews catalogs that we talk about on the podcast. $5 a month It's going to get you those two shows two weeks before everyone else. And it's going to get you Long Box Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else. Uh, so be sure, like I said, to check that out. Um, whether you're a Patreon member or not, uh, this Thursday is the actual 30th anniversary of the release of Superman 75, the death of Superman. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I know the anniversary book came out last week. This Thursday is the actual 30th anniversary. So this Thursday, uh, whether you're a Patreon member or not, you have to get it through our Patreon. Um, but I'm going to make that post of the episode of Previewing the Past, September 1992, where we talk about all the coverage of Death of Superman. I'm going to make that available. Grab it. That's the only day it's going to be up there for free. Um, you know, just doing everything that we can to hopefully make you guys aware of what we're doing over there on the Patreon. I think we're doing a lot of good stuff. I definitely think it's worth your dollar a month to get that stuff. You know, um, Todd and I are not official historians, uh, but we definitely do play them on the Patreon show. That's right. We've seen a historian, so. Yes. We lived this history, especially now. Like, at this point, this is, like, what we lived through, like, collectively, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, so like I said, Thursday, I'll, you know, make sure to tweet something out, uh, to grab it. If you're not a Patreon, it'll be up for the day and that's it. Um, you can also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link does not cost you anything extra. Uh, they Amazon call it an advertising fee. I call it thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click through this past week include, uh, somebody purchased Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on Blu-ray. Uh, I don't know if that comes with the medallion or not. I hope it does. <laughs> I put, do your too. Class, put your class ring in it and everything. Uh, somebody also purchased the uh, Ghost and Dr. Watson, a Shadow Council Archives novella. I have no idea. And somebody also purchased a men- Mental Health Reminders wall decor. I could use some of those, mm-hmm. but uh, I have the I have the Ben Stern one hanging up here in the house. Shut up, sit down. <laughs> I have that, and uh, I told you not to be stupid, you moron. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also, uh, once again, people have hooked up their click through to their comicsology, uh, and we have a couple of comics. We have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one hundred thirty four, Nice House on the Lake eleven. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, 294 through 299. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Armageddon game, the Alliance number one. Amazing Spider-Man number 13, Spider-Man 2, Garbage Pail Kids Origin number two. I think that's your boss, Joe, who bought that one. Um, Godzilla, Monsters and Protectors, All Hail the King number two. The Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Special, number one. Hey, you can read that when you're checking out the free uh, preview in the past. DC versus Vampires, All Out War, number five. Batman Superman, World's Finest, number nine. Batman, One Bad Day, number one, Mr. Freeze. I do want to check that one out. I'm thinking about getting that. And finally, Joe's big book of the week there, Do a Power Bomb, number six. Yeah, and I love seeing books that we talk about or we, you know, whatever, uh, on the show come up on those Amazon click-throughs, you know. That's kind of like our way of knowing that, uh, you know, people are listen, listening and that even at this small of a level, uh, you know, we can consider ourselves uh, influencers, you know? Yep, yep. I'm hoping to see maybe traveling to Mars on that next week or in a week or two. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yes. Right. Uh, so I think we can get into uh, all the movies and TV from this past week. We could, if you'd like. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Andor, huh? Sure. We're coming out hot, Joe. Mm-hmm. 
Um, last we left our heroes, you know, they were in prison, um, knowing that, uh, that if they don't get out, that's where they're going to die kind of a deal. Um, so there are basically three stories. I'm just going to start with a Mon Mothma one because that's the quickest and the shortest one. Um, Mon Mothma has, you know, with her banker friend has decided to talk to Davo Skuldun, I think is the way they uh, pronounce it. And he's, you know, a gangster kind of deal. And they need him to move money around because the empire is watching them for the rebellion and they end up having a talk. And I do think, you know, it was some interesting dialogue between the two of them as they're trying to feel each other out. Um, and he ends up saying, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you. And she's like, well, what's the, ca- like, what's the catch? I'm figuring a percentage. And he's like, no, no percentage. We're going to do this for charity kind of a deal. Um, and she's like, no, no, I don't want to, owe you any favors. He's like, the only favor I ask is that I can come back to your beautiful penthouse. Again, she's like, that could be arranged with my son to meet your young daughter. Cause they're, uh, he's, uh, one of Mon Mothma's people and they have, you know, rules of, uh, heritage about getting married. He's basically trying to pawn his son off on the daughter so they could be betrothed. And Mon Mothma wants none of it, but she, she needs him. And he's like, well, um, you know, uh, uh, it's a lot to think about. And she's like, I'm not thinking about any of it. And then he goes like, that's the first untrue thing you've said this whole time we're sitting here and he leaves. And then she realizes what she has to do to make the rebellion happen. And will she do it? Will she go that far with her daughter? Um, I know a lot of people don't like the Mon Mothma story. Um, but this was, my favorite of it all. I do like her feeling it out. And then how far is she willing to go for what she believes? I really like that. Now, I think we may not have mentioned it or if we did, it may have been in passing. It was an episode or two ago of this, that Mon Mothma and her husband were an arranged marriage as well. Yes. And, you know, obviously one could say, and again, she's in uh, essentially a loveless, unhappy marriage. And, you know, whatever the issue she may has with her daughter, it very much feels as though she and her daughter do not get along. Um, the fact that she's pausing, uh, you know, and not willing to give up her daughter, who may or may not even like her, um, for the cause of the rebellion, knowing the life that an arranged marriage in this world brings. Uh, again, a, a very interesting wrinkle to the Mon Mothma stuff. Yep, yep. Um, now on to Deidre. Deidre, who they they were setting up uh, the the rebels with some guy named Krieger. They had a uh, a pilot that they captured, but they had to kill him and make it look like an accident so they wouldn't realize that they were on to him. And they get the communique that it's like, oh, they they kind of fell for it, and they're like, good. And then Lonnie, who's uh, Deidre's on the ball assistant, is like, hey, listen. We have to investigate this because it's something we would do. And she's he's like, the leader's like, what? He's like, yeah, if we just don't even, it'll look bad. And the guy's like, well, that's what we'll do. Lonnie, go check this out. And he's like, okay, that Lonnie's on the ball, Joe. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so then basically we have the, the prison uh, thing. Um, basically, uh, Kino and Andor are talking. They found out that anybody who's in the prison gets transferred to another prison. You work off your sentence. There's no working off your sentence. You work till you die. 
So he ends up talking to Kino and he's like, we have to do this now. They've killed a hundred people just to silence the fact of what's going on. They don't have enough guards here. And we're, we're doing this. So they go back to the, like the, all the prisoners and they basically explain to what happened. And they're like, Kino, really? And he's like, listen, nobody's getting out. So we have to do what we're going to do. And they end up planning the, uh, the prison escape and because uh who was it Olaf died they need to do it when somebody's coming in and this might be the last chance before they send more guards because of what happened um so on the the next work cycle they end up sending in a guy and uh andor ends up going to the bathroom and he ends up you know hacksawing finish hacksawing through the water pipe and they end up attacking while the elevator's halfway down and they end up like throwing stuff. It, it's really cool when they do it on the two guys with blasters and they realize that uh, they're going to shock the floor, but the water comes in. They all get on the tables because they realize anything that moves isn't affected by shocking. The water burns out the floor. So they're free to, with no repercussions attack. And this is where it goes on to full-on crazy. They end up, they're throwing stuff. They're jumping on the elevator trying to get up there. People are getting shot. I'm I'm worried about him. I know Joe's worried about him. Oh. Um, he, he's throwing stuff. Andor gets a, gets a blaster. And from then, we're off to the races. They end up hand, ending out more blasters. They start freeing people. Um, they give Ham a blaster. Ham's running around killing more people than the food Ham ever has. Uh, they end up getting to one of the control sections, and Andor and Kino go in, and he basically tells them, like, this is your moment. You've been doing this all, like, since you got here. You know how to lead people. Give the speech. And he ends up giving the speech of speeches until maybe a little bit later in the episode ends up giving them the lines like it's better to die trying to, to take them down than giving them what they want, which Andor said earlier in the episode. So it's like poetry because it rhymes and they just start chanting one way out, which is the name of the episode. And they get all the way upstairs and they're ready to like jump in the water. Ham leads the charge into the hot ham water and Kino looks at Andor and Andor notices something's wrong and he says, what's the matter? And Kino goes, I can't swim. He's, and the full weight of that moment comes down as Andor's knocked off the platform and they all, like, people are swimming away. And I rewatched this episode and you could see, like, you think, I honestly think the angst in Kino's eyes, you think he's like, oh, I'm going to rebel. It's not in my nature to do this, blah, 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 to, to do the prison escape. But it's him knowing that no matter what he does, there's probably not going to be a ship waiting for him when he gets to the, to the landing bay. And he's not going to be able to get out. And it's absolutely soul-crushing, Joe. This was amazing from beginning to end on the prison escape. Uh, obviously, there's one more bit, of course, that I think you're saving for the end. Yes, that's okay. because that's where we lead into. Right. Anything uh, on the prison escape? I thought it was great. Um, it was one of those things where 
the death of Olaf is the catalyst that finally gets Kino to realize and wake up. Because I think Kino had been maybe deluding himself that he was going to get out. Like, maybe everybody else isn't going to get out. But I only have a couple wakes or what is it? A couple shifts left. Yep. Yep. Um, and I've been good. I've done everything that they've told me to do. I'm going to get out. And I think it's the the passing of Olaf at the end of the last episode and kind of and or laying it all out for him that he finally realizes, you know, it's now or never. There's one way out. If they don't let us out of here or if they let us out of here, they're just going to move us somewhere else and keep us there forever. Right. And the plan that Andor had been working on, you know, very subtly, but, you know, we see it because we're supposed to see it as the watchers of the show. Um, and it's one of those things like they're going to replace Olaf tomorrow. We need to be ready to go tomorrow. Like whatever the plan was, whatever we had been moving slowly along, it's either now or never sort of mm-hmm. thing, you know. Um, and as everything happens you could see, and again, I don't want to say how lazy or how not, or like, you know, the Imperial people that are here are definitely not stormtroopers from the original three movies that couldn't hit the broad side of a blast door, you know? But definitely they got complacent in the routine that we have these people under control. There's nothing they could do to stop us ever. And now the fact that something is happening to stop them, they don't know what to do. That scene of them all cowering in that room together. Oh, so good. All still armed, right? They all still have their blasters on them, but they're all cowering, huddled together, hoping that they don't get found. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you did this to yourself. This is what happens when you're a bootlicker. This is what happens when you oppress other people. And this is what you deserve. Yeah. And I want to give it to Andy Serkis. Like, give him the award because he did an amazing job. Like, he's Mr. Computer Capture. You know what I mean? Body thing. Like, I, you forget how good of an actor is. Like, with his facial expressions and everything. I, I, I honestly... I, I think they're going to leave Kino gone, but I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up later somehow as like somebody who maybe knows and or like you can find him, whatever. Um, but I hope I, I there's a part of me wants to see more of Kino and there's a part of me that doesn't if you get my meaning because of the sacrifice he made knowing he wasn't going to be able to swim away. But you make I'll, a great point. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens to him. Mm hmm. Um, obviously, like, if he, like, if he just turns around and goes back, like, he's making the ultimate sacrifice either way. Right. Whether he jumps and can't swim, one could only hope that he jumps and somebody helps him. That's the thing that I, I kind of like about the others, because Andor gets knocked out before he can, he, not knocked out, but knocked off. Yeah. Before he can hear that he can't swim, or I think Andor would have literally helped him. You know what I mean? So yes. then, like, did Kino's not going to jump, not knowing? You know what I mean? Right. But uh, and then I really like the shot overhead of the prison as they're all swimming away, and the prison from overhead looks like an imperial symbol. That was a really cool shot with all the people swimming away, uh, just to see what you can do when you get together, Joe. You can move mountains, you know? Yes. 
And then finally we get uh, Lucian who's working at his, you know, uh, shop and he gets word that one of his people wants to see him and his assistant's like, you shouldn't go. It might be a trap. He's like, if it's a trap, we're all dead already. So I'm going. And we end up seeing Lonnie uh, walking through the city and he gets on an elevator and Lucian ends up talking to him. And we end up finding out that Lonnie Deidre's assistant is the mole that Lucian has in the Imperial what ISB or whatever. And as he's coming up, Lucian's like, hey, we haven't talked in a while, Lonnie. Good to see you. Congratulations on your new daughter. And Lonnie, like, just like puckers. He's like, oh boy, he knows he's going to use it against me. They get up and they end up having a talk. He's like, listen, they're looking for a man called Axis. They believe, you know, he's leading the rebels and he did that money heist on Aldani. And uh, so I'm giving you this information along with the fact that uh, Deidre is kind of on to Axis and they're, 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 they're looking for him and Krieger's going down there. They have a, a raid on him and Lucian's like, good, let it happen. Let 50 people die. And that'll prove that we don't have a leak in, in where you work. So thank you for that. And, uh, we didn't have anything to do. I like that. He plays like, we didn't have anything to do with Aldani, even though he masterminded it. He's like, Oh, they wanted us as a part of it, but we didn't do it. I was like, I love that he's playing everything really close to the vest. And he's like, hey, you came on to do this because you saw what was coming. You're a hero to me. You're not leaving. And Lonnie's like, but my wife and kids, he's like, what are you going to do? Tell them the Empire you're walking away? It's like the Mafia. You don't get out. Do you realize how stupid that sounds, Lonnie? And he's like, I've sacrificed a lot. What have you sacrificed? And Luthen get, and I thought Kino's speech was great. Uh-huh. Luthen's at the end where he goes in I've, I've started a, a thing that I'll never see the end of I'll never see the sun sunrise on it I've given up this uh, there's no ground under me because I've I've taken up the tools of my enemy to, to do this do you know what I've given up Lonnie I've given up everything and you're not going anywhere because I need heroes have a good day Joe I got goosebumps as he was doing that the way he Read it the way it was dialogued, all of it. Luthen gave me goosebumps, and I'm worried about him making it out of this joke. No, you think so? Yeah, because I realized he wasn't in Rogue One. So, well, they could do a re uh, a Rogue One uh, director's cut where they put uh, Lucian back in. Mm-hmm. That would be great, but uh, such a great scene all around. This is the greatest episode of this run so far. <laughs> uh a master class, and I say this, in direction, acting, and dialogue. All uh, around, all three stories crushed it for me. For, for sure. I, I feel bad because I do see a lot of people saying, like, oh, I gave up on it after, like, two episodes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I've kind of run hot or cold on it for, for some parts. But, like, since they've since Andor's gotten to the prison, um, it's been really strong, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really exemplifies that and there was even like a fourth plot there of um andor's mother or the his adoptive mother is sick and she's refusing care right and then we both have we have a uh uh vel's girlfriend who i forget her name and one of the empire 
is both watching the house, realizing at some point Andor is going to show up yeah. because his mother's like when they get word to him, not realizing they already had him. Yeah. Um, and then the episode ends with Melchi and uh, and Andor running away, you know, in the moonlight, uh, hopefully to get away and not be recaptured again. I just hope Ham is okay. That you know. Do you think we'll see Ham ever again? Uh, I'll say this. Uh, I'll throw this out there. I don't have a lot of new Star Wars toys. I have a Bib Fortuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the uh, the client uh, played by uh, Werner Herzog. They make a ham action figure. I'm buying a ham action figure. Uh, I have a Cad Bane figure and <laughs> soon to have a ham action figure if they make one. So, so whether he appears or not, I think he's done enough. He probably has more screen time than people from the original or even the prequels. He yep. has ham in these three episodes of Andor that he was in has more screen time than like multiple people combined that have multiple action figures. Right. Um, he, you, you, these last two episodes, they were really hamming it up. Oh, <laughs> so is ham just a Brazilian actor in prison garb? Sure. Is it a very unattractive, maybe unappealing character? Sure. Is there a niche market where they'll sell at least two? Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. But I would say Ham is the heart of the prison riot. So sure. Escape, so yeah. Uh, so that's Andor. Let's get into Stargirl from this past week. Uh, so everybody's in this episode, right? Mm-hmm. But this is more so an episode about the Crocs. They kind of start the episode and they end the episode. Crocs forever, baby. Right. Everything is going great for them. Uh, they got their Rip City Shooter protein bar line <laughs> getting ready to go. Um, their daughter uh, is trying out for the college uh, football team as a quarterback on the all-man's team. Uh, they're finally being accepted by the baby faces. So things are going well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now outside of the little fight, that was at the the McKent residence where the old man might be in a coma, even though he was saved by Beth with the defibrillators that she has in her in her in her gloves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a big episode because Joel McHale's actually here in person, you know? Right, he's not on the telephone. Right. He's not phoning in his performance literally, right? Um, but it gets to a point where um, when, okay, so Mike and Jakeem are trying to get back from where they are. They're trying to save Cindy. They use the lightning bolt. He brings a phone booth down for them. Um, they get tripped up by Cindy and she's just like, listen, leave me alone. I got this. You guys go home. They use the thunderbolt to go home. And when they tell Luke Wilson and everyone else that the ultra humanite is here and thank you for the confirmation that it was the ultra humanite. Um, it's like, Okay. No matter what we thought was going on before with Eclipso or anything else like that, Ultra Humanite's bad. And Mm -hmm. I can't believe a TV show didn't get picked up for a fourth season where they spend like a good five to six minute chunk giving you the actual comic accurate origin of the Ultra Humanite. Joe, it (laughs) floored me when they were like, he was a scientist. We're not sure if he was the actual scientist or if he put his brain in that body. But then he put his brain in this actress's body. And they're like, this actress who was in this award-winning movie? I'm like, oh, my (laughs) God. And like you said, completely accurate. Yes. So good. Like 
like if listen, if we're gonna put the ultra human eye on the small screen, we have to make sure that it's one hundred percent comic accurate, okay? Yes, because how's anybody gonna know that it wasn't? Uh, the only people who know are Joe and Todd, and they'll right. tell everybody. So, so because of the uh, impending threat of the ultra humanite. They're like, we can't be fighting amongst ourselves. Whatever petty squabbles we have with ourselves, we need to work this out. And we can't be dealing with whatever's going on with the McKents, okay? We need mm-hmm. to get them on our same page as well. Um, so Joel McHale, noted hothead, and Luke Wilson are the ones to initially go over and do that. But then the Crocs go over because they worked with the McKent family before, and they make a little bit more of an impassioned plea. And it looks like everybody's on the same page. We get a bunch of other little stories here. Like Paula is attempting to show Barbara how to defend herself a little bit better. Uh, We get Beth and Rick butting heads over uh, Rick uh, relying too much on the hourglass. I got to be careful with my words here. Maybe on After Dark, I might have said something that he was doing hot, you know? Yes, he was sanding hot. Um, But then, of course, we get the resolution where uh, Cameron confronts Courtney about everything that has gone on between the Icicle and the JSA kids. Um, Courtney, obviously, at the previous episode was going to tell Cameron what happened. And then we get reminded at the beginning of the episode that it was Mike driving the car that hits the Icicle and shatters him. Courtney takes the bullet for Mike, knowing that if she said it was Mike who did this, there's a chance that Cameron would go and try and hunt down and kill Mike. But at least because of the little bit of a relationship that Cameron and Courtney had, by her taking the blame for it, maybe Cameron won't kill her. Right. And at least if he tries, she's Stargirl. Right. And she has a better chance of defending herself as, a, as opposed to like a punk kid. Right. Right. Unless he gets in the, the big robot, Joe. But who knows? Yes. Uh, so if I've left anything out before I get to the, uh, final scene. I can't really, uh, think of anything off the top of my head, but uh, other than Chrissy's trying to catch the ultra human, uh, humanite so she can maybe cure herself from turning into a lizard. That's it. Right. Uh, so the Crocs get the call from Artemis. She made the football team. She's going to be the first female college starting quarterback. They're all very happy for her. And then as they're walking home, they notice some old croc flyers strewn about leading to a tra- leading them to a trail down to the sewer, which is where we know the person who had all the monitors was and has been this whole time. We've had much speculation as to who it is, but finally in this episode we get the revelation of who this mystery person pulling all the strings, watching all of our characters, definitely the one who killed the gambler at this point that the icicle himself is still alive. He's reformed somehow or whatever. And he uses his ice powers to kill the Crocs. Oh, and that bummed me out, man. I got a sad text from Adam. He's like, he's like, Oh my God. At first I was like, don't, don't go into the house with the crazy, you know, ice people. You're going to get killed. They're going to, they're going to swerve you. And then I was like, Oh God, don't go down the manhole. I was like, the Crocs, they left us too soon. <laughs> so he was not well on that. He was he was Team Croc. So uh but yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. Um uh it ended up being the icicle. And Joe, can I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna call my spot on what's gonna happen. 
Uh, the icicle, people are going to find out he's back. Cameron's going to find out he's back. And they're going to go, and he's going to end up proving to Cameron somehow that he's actually evil, even though Cameron didn't believe it. And then, Joe, they're going to have to fight each other. And they're going to both shoot their ice powers at each other. And then it's going to be like, who's stronger on the ice power? Oh, I'm Cameron, and I'm stronger. Oh, I'm Icicle, and I'm stronger. And then Icicle's going to get over on uh, Cameron, and he's going to start pushing it towards him. And then Courtney's going to go, no, no, no. Use the power of hope. You've had it in you the whole time. And then Cameron's going to go, oh, I do. I'm so strong. And then he's going to hurt his father. And that's the way the fight's going to end. Because that happens in every superhero fight ever. Maybe this will be the one where it doesn't happen. Right. I want to bet. I I think it's going to. So. Okay. But so. End of, you know, a couple more app issues left on Stargirl. Yep. Uh, so last but not least uh, is discussion of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Yes. Okay. How do you uh, want to do this, Joe? Well, Todd, you got to just pull that Band-Aid off, right? Right. Uh, Todd and I, and I think many of the folks that we went to go see it with this weekend... Uh, whether or not they want to out themselves publicly is up to them. Uh, I didn't like this. I was underwhelmed. Um, yeah, it was good. It was fine. Boring. Um, right. So it was definitely overtly long. Okay. Um, there were two storylines. And again, you're aware what the main storyline is. Of course, T'Challa, um, played by, um... Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman passed away tragically, the actor himself. So now they got to figure out a way to get him out of the Marvel Universe and get someone in to replace him. And I get that you have to do it. I know people have said you just recast him. And again, that's a decision made by Marvel, Disney, whatever it is to do this. Um, You know, the uh, writer, director of the first Black Panther, Ryan Coogler, he did this. Uh, he did the first Creed movie. He did a movie called Fruitvale Station. So he's known for kind of movies that wrench at your heartstrings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get back to that as I talk about, like, the other felt like they were thrown in their plot threads, which was the Namor stuff, which was the Riri Williams stuff, which was the uh, Agent Cooper, Elaine, Thunderbolt stuff, right? Right, and Ross being them married somehow at one point. I don't know. So you get all this extra stuff, and if you wanted to have this movie be this tribute to uh, Chadwick Boseman, I think you could have done it without these other three subplots in it. Right. The only thing I can think of is they need these three subplots to move along to get to the next project. You know what I mean? Or something down the line. Right. And that's the double edged sword that unfortunately, when you are essentially a money making movie making machine at this point, and then you try to take a break to tell this heartfelt, heart wrenching, emotional tale. It the, the tone just feels like it's all wrong. Mm-hmm. And we've talked before, you know, superhero movies are one thing. And then it was maybe like with Winter Soldier. We're like, Winter Soldier is a superhero movie, but it's also an espionage movie. It's kind of like a James Bondy type movie. Right. You know, then you get your Doctor Strange and that's a Marvel superhero movie. 
And that's the type of, you know, that's, you know, a, a more like magical and mystery type movie. Okay. Right. Then and you then, get the Doctor Strange 2 and that's more of a horror movie. Right. And then you get them, Marvel, Disney, sticking their toe into all of these different other genres of movie. And, and I like all these other genre of movies. I'm not much of a drama, heart-wrenching sort of guy. Those aren't the type of movies that I, I, I go to. If it appears in movies that I'm watching because I came here for A and I get B, which is that, I'm on board. But I didn't know anything about the movie. I assumed there was going to be a lot of this. But at two hours and 40 minutes, with all these other, with these three other subplots that needed to happen to move the main storyline along, it just felt overbloated, directionless. And I think by having those extra subplots in there, took away from whatever gravitas or emotional punch that they were hoping to get from the tribute to Chadwick Boseman that the majority of the movie was. And and I know that you and I and the folks that we saw it with are definitely in the minority when it comes to that opinion. Yeah. And uh, see, I'm for heart wrenching and blah, blah, blah. If it's done well, even like I, I'll take it in my superhero movies, whatever. I just felt it was. I, I I keep saying this. And I never know really how to explain it. I felt that it, obviously Chadwick Boseman should be you know revered and he should be honored and everything. But I felt like this like I was of the recast of mind. But I felt like it was very like cheap and crass, like the way they did it, where it's like oh, not only like did Chadwick Boseman pass away from a, a you know a disease, so did Black Panther, and here's like our footage of him, so you could see. And I'm just like. It just seems like so quick at the beginning of the beginning of the movie and at the end, it's almost a like we got to do this to get Shuri over. You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. like, ah, I don't like it. Like he passed away. She has she's traumatized by it, but she has to go on kind of a deal. But instead, it's like, here's some here's some stock footage of Chadwick and. I, I don't know. I, I just thought it was really, really weak. Let it stand on its own. Like, give him his memorial, and then we move past it, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I didn't like it at all that kind of way. And then on Namor, like, I'm fine. I get it. You didn't want him to be a carbon copy of Aquaman uh, in the DC movie, so you did, like, the Aztec kind of thing. Don't care. But he's got to be, a like, my Namor is pompous, like so full of himself. And I didn't feel like this character had that. He had a, a righteous anger towards some people, if that makes any sense. So he's like, they're coming. If they find us, I know what they do. It just, I don't know. I just like a name where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm better than y'all. And I'm going to slap you down. And we try to get some heartfelt with Namor, and it doesn't work. He speaks a different language, which I'm fine with. But then when he says his law, his catchphrase, they do it in a different language. So Imperius Rex is, I don't know, that bothered me the most for some reason. That was my my trigger. But I really didn't care all around on any of this movie when it was over. Yeah, it's and, and that's the thing. Like, even, you know, because I was, uh, April and Asa were out camping for scouts. And, you know, I come home and I'm getting myself situated. She's like, oh, we're done for the night. We're getting ready to turn in. She's like, how was your movie? And I'm just like... Not good. And she's like, oh, really? I was looking forward to seeing it. I'm like, 
yeah, I'm like, I don't know if you would have liked it. Like, there's no way my kid would have liked it. And I get that, you know, these essentially are movies for kids. But, you know, there was a bunch of, like, little kids in the theater for this. And I remember going to see the first Black Panther, and my kid loved it, you know? Right, right. It was a fun action movie. It got all these characters over. It established this whole universe and this whole world of Wakanda and everything else like that. Whereas this didn't do anything to establish anything that I would want to see again. Like, I want to see Namor again because I like, you know, the idea of Namor being a jerk to the other Marvel characters. Um, I thought if I had to pick I, the contrast of Riri Williams in the in the movie, because she was kind of like this brash back talking character where everybody else from the Wakanda side are like these all stoic and prim and proper. And because we're royalty, we all have to act a certain way. I think Riri stood out you know, as an interesting character just because she was so different. And I know the Agent Cooper Elaine stuff is leading to the Thunderbolts, and you put Thunderbolts on anything, I'm going to watch it, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to consume it. So I'm a sucker there. They got my money regardless of how tacked on that stuff felt, you know? Right. I just felt like, like you said, like Riri was really slammed in there, out of place. You know what I mean? But she's got a TV show coming up. We have to debut her somewhere. Well, you know it's a I mean? TV show. It was initially a TV show, but it got upgraded to a movie. Oh, okay. I get conf- like trying to keep track of all that without my notes. But yeah. So, and then I'm kind of of the mind of now we have three Iron Men, you know, running around in, uh, in Black Panther, and I'm like, okay, it just seems like pretty soon we're gonna have everybody's gonna have a, a Tony Stark suit of armor. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just weird, and I don't want to knock the film because I really like the first Black Panther movie. I love the outside of some dodgy special effects at the end. I really like the first Black Panther. Right, I know what you're talking about, but I stand by those. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I just feel like yeah, like sadly, like Chad Chadwick Boseman, you know what what happened. But I would like I said, I just would have been like, we're doing. A different Black Panther. And then that brings us to the end. We end up finding out that uh, Black Panther had a kid that's five years old or whatever. So how are we going to speed age him, Joe, to become the new Black Panther? Well, let me give Norman Osborn a call. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to have something to do with like... uh, the quantum realm or Kang or maybe a, a secret uh, war that we're going to get an adult uh, aged up T'Challa because that's his name. So we could, it's kind of like the illusion of change as writers say it's a T'Challa, but it's not the old T'Challa. It's the new T'Challa, but we're not going to split hairs. It's a yeah. T'Challa, you know? And the only other thing is I know we have like the Marvel schedule, like six years out. But when you said that there's no less than three Iron Men running around in the Black Panther uh, universe, whatever. Movie. And just the movie. Just, right. In the movie, there's three Iron Men running around. Um, you know, obviously the joke is if everyone's Iron Man, then nobody's Iron Man. I said that the other day. <laughs> right. But the I say is you got a whole bunch of Iron Mans. You know what happens in a Marvel, what should happen in the Marvel universe? An armor war? An armor war. Oh, it's not See, a bad silver idea. Lining, silver lining, Todd. Yeah, silver. You're right. You're right. Somebody's going to come for all those armors. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be Tony Stark. When 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 they d- drive that dump truck load of money up to up to uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, he, it's going to be the armor wars. He's going to come back and say, "This is what's happened with my armors. 
all you guys have them, it's time for me to take them back. And that would be a good story. We're going to film you Bruce Willis style 2022. You're going to you're going to have an IFBN where we're just going to feed you your lines. You don't have to memorize a script. And have you ever heard the term sit acting? Yes, I have. Okay. <laughs> I, I've seen that a few times. It's like, hey, you're a pilot on this high-tech jet, but you're just in a gaming chair with a green screen behind you. Yep. <laughs> I, know, lot, I know the deal. A lot of it's just going to be that clo- like They always shoot to that close-up of Tony inside the Iron Man uh, armor because like we're paying for Robert Downey Jr. and we're not showing his face. You just sit in this chair. We're going to put the green screen behind you. And the I just turn your head slightly so we can't see the IFB, and uh, we're just gonna we're gonna just repeat after us when we read you these lines. Yep, give it time; it'll happen. Hey, hey, it's talking to Krusty. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, I think that's everything, Joe. All right. So yeah, hey, that was a big show, uh, as Todd predicted at the beginning of this show. Uh, awesome. Thanks everyone for listening to episode six hundred thirty-two of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.